Peace, peace, everybody. This is your girl, Sequoia Blue from SequoiaBlue.com and BlueAlchemistPodcast.com. We have a special guest today, Dr. Tyson Bell. He is a critical care and infectious disease physician at University of Virginia. We also have my co-host, Michelle, a family nurse practitioner and upcoming virtual clinic owner. Hello, everybody. My name is Michelle. Thanks. Thanks both of you for being on this episode. This is awesome. Um, So we're going to start off with our first question. What is COVID for the audience that don't quite understand? Um, And how does it relate to Omicron and all the new variants popping up everywhere? Sure. So um, COVID is basically a disease that's caused by the new coronavirus. And I shouldn't say new because it feels like it's old now. Um, It's just dragging on. Um, But we're going into year three with it. It's um, SARS-CoV-2 is the name of the virus. If you have symptomatic disease, the disease is called COVID or coronavirus disease. And so uh, COVID is the ultimate disease that you get, but it can be caused by different forms of the coronavirus. And that's where this alphabet soup of Greek letters is all coming into play, like alpha, beta, delta, omicron. These are all different versions of the virus that have come through mutations or changes that happen naturally with the virus, but they all kind of have a different flavor of what kind of infections they cause, how easily they spread, and um, and then the fact that new ones keep popping up. So uh, that's basically the difference between COVID versus the, the virus itself and then the, the variants. Hmm, that makes sense. And then what what does COVID look like in the hospital right now? I know I've seen you on Twitter saying it was pretty intense Um, for people that's on the outside, unable to look in. What does it what does it look like right now for you? Yeah, so it's a good question because it can look like many different things. So let's just break it down. So uh, for some people and these are the lucky folks. COVID uh, really doesn't cause much symptoms at all, if any. There's a, a, a portion of people who have no symptoms whatsoever. They may not know that they're infected. Or if they do have symptoms, it's nothing more than like the common cold sort of symptoms, like you know, runny nose, um, you know, sniffles, maybe a fever, something like that. Uh, now, what's different about this versus the common cold, though, is that for some people, it can become very severe disease. Uh, that can land you in the hospital. So for instance, uh, it does attack your lungs. That's the primary organ that it causes problems in. And so if your lungs can't fill with air because they're filled with infection and fluid, then you might need oxygen to help uh, get some oxygen into your body and get get, get it to your organs. And so I see frequently people that are in the hospital with oxygen from COVID. And then I work in the intensive care unit and that's where folks come who are really sick and we're talking about people who are fighting for their life and they may be hooked up to a ventilator that's um, hooked connected to a breathing tube that's going down their throat um, or special versions of oxygen that deliver it at a high rate so imagine driving down a highway sticking your head out of the window Um, that's about the rate of oxygen that sometimes the patients need to try to keep it at a safe level so really dramatic. And and if you talk to people today about, you know, how many COVID cases you have in a hospital, it can be confusing because it has different flavors. I mean, you might have a person who it snowed here recently. So you might have someone who slipped on the ice and broke their wrists 
came into the emergency room, they feel fine. They just have pain in the wrists, but they have COVID. They have a positive test and they feel completely fine. Now, that will be more likely someone who is vaccinated and boosted, who's not having a lot of symptoms. If, he, if you're asking the question, well, who's in a hospital who has a COVID that's positive, um, but they are symptomatic from it? They have oxygen needs or we're worried about their breathing status. They're in the ICU, um, places like that. That's where you're seeing more people that are unvaccinated. So people that are unvaccinated are the ones who tend to have the more severe disease now. And that's been a really big difference that we've noticed in the hospital ever since the vaccines have been available. Wow, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Unvaccinated are more susceptible to catching getting the worst case and you've seen it too with some of your patients yeah what do you you say to the people who say oh i'll be all right i'll just take some vitamins and some zinc and some vitamin d and they make up the little concoction to take and and they think that their immune system is strong and uh i i'll i'll be able to fight it yeah yeah so um I've heard that a lot, right? And and I believe, you know, I believe in vitamins. I got some right upstairs. I take some every day. I take elderberry. I take a multivitamin. Uh, someone gave me some vitamin C. I put it in a in a in a glass of water. You know, vitamins are good to, for your overall health. And the way I think about it, when I was growing up, I had this neighbor who was really concerned about their home security, and so they bought this really fancy um, security alarm system that. You open the window, you know, it it sent like a message to the police or something like that um, and spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars putting this in and they got robbed. They Mm. got robbed because they left the door unlocked. And so um, (laughs) someone comes to the home, they open the door, it's it's wide open and they take some stuff before anyone can come in um, in, um, in, in, uh, and catch them. So I think about it like that. So if you're thinking about um, your overall health and trying to buff up um, your defenses, you know, take vitamins, eat a healthy diet, uh, do things like that. Um, But they are not preparing your immune system specifically for a threat of the coronavirus or COVID. And so you really you need to lock the door. You need to get the vaccine because that's the best way to actually lock the door, make it harder for the virus to even get into your house. And then your immune system does its job from that point. So I think about it like that. You know, you definitely want to do things to keep your overall health you know, up. And, you know, that's important just for general life. But when it comes to this really dangerous disease that's been killing people uh, left and right, you know, you got to shut the door on it. And that's uh, that's through vaccination. Yeah, I totally agree on that. That was a good analogy, too, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. That's my wife. Yeah. Time. Oh. <laughs> um, and then also, uh, we already discussed why the vaccine is important. And um, what are your thoughts on long-term COVID? That seemed to be popping around a lot. Um, I think, personally, I'm suffering from long-term COVID. You know, mm-hmm. my mom has symptoms. So we would like to know, like, are any doctors researching this? I know there's one in Atlanta um, after mm-hmm. remember doctor researching it but we, we definitely would like some some medicine to help us get better or some type of long-term uh, i think pfizer is working on appeal too so um have you heard anything about that or 
Yeah, long COVID is no joke. I mean, it has many different flavors and it's not talked about as much as it should be because I think we're focusing so much on, you know, hospitalizations and people who are passing away from COVID, but we're not really thinking so much about what are the downstream consequences of people who get infected, even if they do well from like a healthcare standpoint, if you don't end up in a hospital, I would consider you have done well from, you know, the lane that I that I drive in. Uh, but what does that mean if you can't focus enough that you um, can't do your job properly or you, you can't walk up a flight of stairs? It's hard for you to take care of your family, that sort of thing, or a loved one. And that's what long COVID has really, you know, really thrown into the mix. And that's what's going to be the this you know, part of the scars that are left over from when uh, this pandemic has kind of you know run its course. You know, I think there'll be a lot of people who have uh, who are suffering. So uh, this will be an important area of research. Uh, my own institution has a clinic where we see patients who have long COVID and we do all, many sorts of different things, you know, through therapy and, and different sorts of drugs. Uh, but it's it's an area that needs to be studied more so that we can understand a little bit more about what actually is causing it. Um, is it something with your immune system balance? Is it something with other factors in your body? Uh, is it, uh, it's you know, it's probably not from the virus itself because it's usually long gone by that point. Uh, but that might help you know, us figure out what exactly to do with some of the specific symptoms because each patient that has long COVID has a different sort of story about how it's affecting them. And what we want to get to the point is um, that we can figure out what are the specific things that, a, that this person will need to make their symptoms better versus this other patient. Mm, that makes sense. It's going to be specific needs for each one. Mm-hmm. Did you have a question about that? No, not really. There, there just needs to be places for them to be able to go to get help. Because when you mention to your doctor, oh, I have long COVID, they're looking at you like you're crazy and you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, people don't know what to do with that. And uh, and that's part of the problem, right? It's a, it's a syndrome, yeah. which means syndromes have um, many different sorts of manifestations. And so for some person, long COVID, um, you know, might mean you, know, you can't concentrate. Another person might be depressed or have sleep problems. Uh, we have an athlete at uh, UVA who's not able to perform at the level that they did before. And they're at risk of losing their scholarship. You know, so it's many different sorts of ways that it's affecting people. And the key is to, to do more research, more research and, which, you know, does take time, unfortunately. Uh, but that's the best way to get to the bottom of it and, and figure out what to do. Yeah, right. totally agree. At least we're working on it and trying to find a way. I didn't th- oh, I'm sorry. No, what were you going to say? No, I just had another question about um, COVID itself or Omicron. Because people think that if they caught it once that I already had it and I have antibodies now and I I won't catch it again or, you know, but if you go back out there again, you still have, you know, you can, you, you can still get it again. Mm-hmm. Right. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, we've seen that, um, you know, if we're talking about, let, let's let's think about Delta, people who got infected with Delta, who then got infected with Omicron. I've had a bunch of patients who um, had both infections. And, uh, and most of the time this happens because you're not vaccinated. The problem with, and what we're talking about is natural immunity. When people are, are talking about having protection from being infected, when you are infected with the virus, you do eventually make an immune response most of the time. Um, you know, one issue is that if you look at 
the actual response that people make after infection, uh, about a third of people, one out of three, actually don't make a response at all. And if you think about it, if you're trying to make an antibody response while at the same time your body is trying to fight to stay alive, it's kind of hard to do those two things at the same time. But when you're getting vaccinated, you're coming in, you're feeling good, you're healthy, your immune system is in good shape to make those antibodies. So you tend to have a better, more reliable response and you make better quality antibodies. And so we've seen a bunch of folks who were infected before with different strains of COVID who got either Omicron or got Delta. And when you look at people who have been, who've had COVID before, and you compare folks who got COVID, then got vaccinated, and compare them to folks who got COVID and did not get vaccinated, well, guess who got infected more? It was the folks who did not get vaccinated um, by two times. So you're two times more likely to get infected if you have COVID and you don't get vaccinated than if you go ahead and get vaccinated. So you're more likely to have better outcomes if you get vaccinated afterwards. One of the reasons is that, you know, we've talked about boosters and how important mm -hmm. they are because your antibody levels do go down over time after, you know, five or six or seven months, something like that. And that doesn't mean your response completely goes away, but what it does mean is that you're more likely to get symptoms. And if you're more likely to get symptoms, you're more likely to have severe disease. Well, if you are able to boost your response to a vaccine, you can get those antibody levels back up to a higher level. And you actually make even better quality antibodies than the first time around. So, you know, you kind of get killed two birds with one stone. But if you're relying on natural infection, then it's kind of like walking outside without your coat on uh, because it's uh, it's no longer useful. So um, so you really are taking a risk if you're just relying on having had prior infection and thinking that's going to protect you when really the best way is to get vaccinated. Yeah, I totally agree. I was watching the Roland Martin show and there was a doctor on there from Peru, I believe. And he was all about natural immunity. He was like, you don't need the vaccine and this and that. And actually Roland Martin mentioned your name and said, well, Dr. Tyson Bell said you need the vaccine. And he mentioned some other doctors. And I totally agree. Like, I think that I get his where he's coming from, that doctor, but we, we still need the, some, some way to protect ourselves, you know, because, um, and that's what Roland Martin was saying. He was like, well, well, do we just wear gloves? If someone says, hey, I don't want to get the vaccine, do we just wear gloves? But can't you, don't, aren't we contaminating everything? Just wearing gloves, we have to constantly take the gloves off, put them on, you know. Yeah, I saw that segment and I'm glad you brought that up because um, I had a lot of problems with it. And I don't know um, this doctor personally. I've never met him. I never had a conversation with him, but I, I took issue with a lot of what he said because it was just frankly wrong. Um, you know, some of it was, you know, accurate, but a lot of it was just mistaken. So I'll, I'll just I'll just correct a couple of things. He talked about um, I, I believe he said that he didn't get a vaccination because he thinks that natural immunity is better and that he thinks that we should make a vaccine against all the different variants. And, and that that's just completely wrong. And the reason yeah. is that what he left out is that we've evolved with viruses ever since we've been alive as human beings. And so it's true that viruses change over time. You can have different mutants um, or different mutations that can change the virus slightly and that might have an impact on your immune system. But your immune system also changes over time, especially if, if you've been exposed or if you have a vaccine, you actually make different kinds of antibodies 
just in case you see a different version of the virus. And so in a sense, your immune system, when it's making antibodies, it's making variants of its own antibody response. So different sorts of antibodies to try to recognize different variants in case they come up. And so it's inaccurate to say that we need to make a, a vaccine targeted to every different variant that's emerged because our immune system, in a sense, is already doing that. Now, it's true that it's a race. Like, I can't promise you that we won't have to have an update vaccine at some point, but to suggest that we have to target every single variant with a separate vaccine is just ludicrous. The, the immune system doesn't work like that. Um, and I and I wish you know he could have gotten into a little bit of that, um, but it, it was it was misleading to say that. Um, and then our point about natural immunity um, and just come to my ICU. You know his his he said his lane was tropical medicine and you know in Peru and emerging sort of diseases there. My lane is the ICU. Um, I see people that are struggling um, uh, who are uh, trying to stay alive, and I have not taken care of a vaccinated or boosted patient in the ICU, period. I haven't seen one. Um, it has all been either unvaccinated people. That makes up about 75% of the patients that I take care of. And then the other 25%, the folks who have been vaccinated but are still very, very sick, they have a lot of medical problems. And I'm not talking about high blood pressure or you're a little overweight. I'm talking about folks who've had organ transplants, stem cell transplants, their own medicines that suppress your immune system. They have a, a problem generating an antibody response because their immune systems are so compromised or people that are very elderly in age and they usually aren't boosted. Uh, so, you know, the, most of the folks that I take care of are unvaccinated people. And that has completely changed from the beginning of the pandemic. So if I, and I know if I have someone on my list who I haven't met yet, but you know, let's say they're in their forties or their fifties, you know, only a couple of medical problems and they're critically ill with COVID. I just know that they're unvaccinated. I always ask the question, but the answer I always get is this person is unvaccinated. Uh, so, you know, it was wrong. It was misleading. It's reckless. And I think if people listen to it and, you know, take his advice, I think there are going to be more people who die, unfortunately. So, you know, we got to correct the record. Yeah, that's why I'm doing the show, because I'm like, we got to got to make this known and get more clarity on this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, also a segue, like another thing is Roland Martin was talking about was all these TikTok doctors and YouTube doctors. Like, um, I mean, I don't knock their opinions like me Islam and all those people, but um, there's a lot of people that have a huge following and they're saying all types of things, you know, and it's not, it's not, it's really misleading. What do you, what do you think about those, those guys? Yeah, I don't, I <laughs> draw the line at TikTok. Um, you know, I, I, I told myself I was going to be the, the cool person who kept up with all the social media, but I've, I've got my limits. So I haven't really, yeah. haven't been on those sorts of platforms, but I do know that there are physicians and other public health professionals who are just saying uh, the most cockamamie, you know, BS sort of stuff. And we have to correct the record. And the problem is science is, it's complicated when you're talking about the numbers and trials. It's very easy to take a part of the story and make it fit your narrative. So if you want to say something like, let, let's take an argument I've heard recently that, why take the vaccine if 70% of the patients in your hospital with COVID are vaccinated? Let's just take that statement. 
70% of the people in your hospital with COVID are vaccinated folks. Okay. Factually true, but misleading. Why don't we go talk to the people who are make up that population? So most of the people who make the, up those 70% are folks that are vaccinated, but they're there for other reasons. They came to get a hip replacement. They came to get, you know, an elective surgery. Um, they're there because, you know, something else happened, but they just happen to be COVID positive And they're wondering why in the world are you talking to me? I feel fine. You know, I'm good. You can leave. And then you ask, you know, who are the people that are suffering? Who are the people who can't talk because they're hooked up to a ventilator? Who are the people that can't talk because they're so short of breath? Those are the unvaccinated people. And so if you take a statement like most of the folks in a hospital are positive for COVID and vaccinated, you can, you see how you can take that statement and make it seem like vaccines aren't, aren't effective, but you come to where I work and you see who's making up that population and who's in the ICU, who's fighting for their life. Those are the critically ill patients and the ones who are vaccinated, uh, they might be in the hospital, but they're reading the, the Washington Post and New York Times. They're chilling. You know, they're walking up. They're not fighting for their lives. They just happen to have COVID. So it's so easy to take information like that and twist it to make it fit your own narrative. And I think that's what confuses people sometimes. Uh, but at the end of the day, we have to keep getting the message out that, no, the vaccines aren't perfect. You know, they give you antibodies, but they can't. They, it's not like they can run ahead of you and drop kick the virus before it, before it touches you. Right. They can't do that. But what they do is keep you out of the hospital with severe disease. And they've done a remarkable job of that. And there, there's just no disputing that. And you look at, um, you know, New York City released some data on their rates of patients who were in the ICU or in the hospital with symptomatic COVID. And you see the number of unvaccinated. It's going up. And the people who are vaccinated is completely flat, not changing. And that's a powerful you know, example of how the vaccines are working. And, and there's just no counteracting that, no matter what people say. Yeah, I totally agree on that. Yeah, I have a question about um, heart complications mm -hmm. after having COVID or after getting the vaccine. Yep. Um, palpitation, shortness of breath, you know, myocarditis. Myocarditis, right. Yeah, some people are having some problems and some people are getting overlooked and some are not. And I want to know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, so I just talked about this um, actually yesterday with someone who had some concerns about myocarditis. So just to backtrack, myocarditis is inflammation of the heart or tissue around the heart. So the actual heart itself or the sac that it sits in and it can cause... Uh, things like chest pain. It's not a heart attack, but it can uh, sometimes cause people to get very sick. Viruses are known to cause myocarditis. So even viruses like influenza, the flu, um, I've taken care of patients who've had um, heart inflammation from the flu and COVID causes this, the same thing. Now in some, in uh, many trials and in the CDC sort of tracking database, they did find that there was a slightly increased chance of myocarditis and the group that was most affected were teenage boys. So boys who were, um, you know, 14, 15, 17 and up, and then young men, 18 to 23 or so. Now that rate was, um, I believe it was about one in every 400,000 people or so would get this um, rate of inflammation. So extremely rare. 
Um, it was more often seen with the Moderna vaccine because it does have a higher dose than the Pfizer vaccine um, and less so with Johnson and Johnson. But what people really don't talk about when they talk about the myocarditis is what's the risk of not getting vaccinated and getting COVID? Well, it turns out in those very same people, if you have COVID, your rate of myocarditis is 24 times higher uh, than, uh, than if you were to get the vaccine. And so if you're trying to weigh the odds, you know, luckily these are rare occurrences, whether it's from COVID itself or from the vaccine. But if you're playing the odds, if you were in Vegas and you were playing, you know, 24 times versus one, then you're more likely um, going to, to uh, get vaccinated because you're more likely to have that protection. Um, you're more likely to have a, a worse outcome from COVID itself than from the vaccine. And so I, I take information like that and um, and I say, you know, everyone, unless there's some serious contraindication, should get vaccinated. If I had a teenage boy, I have a boy who's eight years old, so I wasn't particularly concerned about this. Um, but if I had a teenage boy and I had the choice between Pfizer and Moderna, I'd probably just select to give him Pfizer. It's already low risk, but it lowers that risk even further. But it's not at the point where, let's say, they didn't have any Pfizer doses and I was there that day and my choice was Moderna. Guess what? Moderna is going into his arm because I want him to have that protection because the risk of myocarditis is much higher with COVID itself. And I want him to have those antibodies um, so that, you know, if he were to get infected, he has that protection. So one of those things where, you know, we do have to track it in and, uh, in, you know, know the rate and know who's it more common in, but it is rare and it's made even more rare if you get vaccinated. Mm. Wow. And how how come the low income communities can't seem to get the vaccine like the rest of the communities? Yeah. Well, just like I mean, you can ask that about almost anything, sadly. You know, how Yeah, the healthcare mm-hmm. disparities. I mean it's just it's just ridiculous. But yeah. Yeah. I I don't And people how come- and, you know, the funny thing is when, when you're getting out is health equity and when people talk about health equity, sometimes folks get upset. You know, the administration released guidelines that you should take race and ethnicity into account when you're talking about some of these therapeutic agents, the, the pills that can help you know, prevent severe outcomes from COVID, the monoclonal antibodies, those sort of things. Um, when you insert something like, you know, consider race and ethnicity, it makes people upset. Um, you know, there was a, I got, I just got interviewed by Kaiser health news about, um, some white conservatives who said, well, COVID affects us all and shouldn't, shouldn't this all be race blind. What people are missing is that when you have race blind policies, it will negatively affect people of color. And so let's take something as simple as. Let's make monoclonal antibodies. So one of the treatments for COVID to try to prevent people from getting in the hospital. Let's make them available at private chain pharmacies. And you think to yourself, okay, that makes sense. Private chain pharmacies are all across the nation. They're in multiple neighborhoods. That should be good access, right? Okay, let's walk around a neighborhood that is underserved, that is uh, black and brown, Latino communities. You walk around these areas 
chances are you're much less likely to find a place like CVS or a place like Walgreens or Dwayne Reed. They tend to be in areas where um, there's higher wealth concentration, there's higher rates of private insurance because that works better for their business model. And so if you just put out a policy and, and say, let's put these in pharmacies, it actually decreases access for people of uh, uh, for people in a low income communities who tend to be people of color. And so you have to think about how do we get more resources to these areas so that they have increased access. Um, it, I think COVID has opened the lens on this conversation. You know, I, I think at least we're talking about this and the debate is out there, which is better than it was before. Because, you know, these issues have existed well before COVID. I think COVID just provided a lens and a, and a context to think about it because it's been so pervasive and everyone's thinking about it. But it's only exposed what's been there before. And um, and if we want to correct the problem, we have to be able to acknowledge it first. We have to say, you know, this is an issue, but we have to think about targeted policies to increase access to these areas because ultimately it means that more people will live, right? Yep, that's true. Yep. I think think about it this way. Um, I lost power um, in my home and several other homes in my area lost power because there was an ice storm that knocked over trees and took down power lines. And many of my neighbors were out of power for a few days um, and, and, you know, things like that. Very inconvenient, it's cold, etc. The place that got the power the quickest was the nursing home and the assisted living facility in our area, which makes sense, right? You take someone who's older in age in a nursing home, they may be dependent on machines or oxygen. That is a place that needs their power turned back on immediately, because these people are at risk for having really bad outcome. These are folks who can go to the hospital if the power goes out. And so you focus your energy on putting your resources there first. You won't hear someone saying, well, why are you going to the nursing home and putting their power back on? I've been out for, for two days. You know, you don't hear people complaining about that. It makes sense. But if you introduce the, the lens of race and say this community is underserved and they have worse outcome from COVID, I mean, they're... There are points when, you know, black and brown people are dying at three and four times the rate of of white folks from COVID. How do you look at that and not do something about it? You know, whatever you're trying to do is not working. You have to change up and do something different. And so I think the administration now is uh, is very focused on this issue. And I think the problem is some state governments just don't care at all. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Now, I had a uh, a handyman come over to fix something the other day, and I asked him, did he have his vaccine? And he said, uh, no, uh, I didn't have it. Uh, then he says, uh, how, how many vaccines do I need? He said, how many vaccines do I need? He didn't even know that there was even a number count or what the number count was or that there was a booster or mm-hmm. he just didn't know anything. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I thought that was interesting that he didn't know anything mm-hmm. like how many vaccines, you know, or even what they were called or or where to get it, where, where to get it from. Yeah. You know, I at this point, we've been doing this for two years plus. 
It's hard for me to believe that someone, unless they've been under a rock somewhere, but if you have a phone, if you have a radio, if you have a TV, if you talk with people, it's on everyone's minds. People are talking about this. So I have a hard time believing that someone who says that they don't know anything, you know, is honestly telling the truth. Maybe they just don't want to engage and they have their own reasons for not wanting to get vaccinated. But come on, bro. We've been, yeah. talk- we've been talking about this. Um, you, know, you know, I have patients, you know, the thing I've noticed, you know, speaking of speaking about that, that trend, the thing I've noticed about patients who come in now to the ICU um, who are critically ill and we're talking with their families and we're trying to figure out are they vaccinated or are they, are they not vaccinated? Now, sometimes the families will say, well, we don't know. It's unknown whether they were vaccinated or not. And, you know, first couple of times we're like, okay, may- maybe that's possible. But once you get like five or six families telling you, oh, we don't know. They were like, okay, we just don't believe this. This probably this person's probably unvaccinated and the family doesn't want to tell us that because it, in on some as on some level, it's either embarrassing or they feel um like they don't want to disclose because it, it's a judgment on them. But mm-hmm. any family member that you care about you talk to them about this. You had you've debated when they came out. You you know they were maybe over Zoom Christmas or Thanksgiving or if you got together in person. Your group texts. People have been talking about this. Families have been talking about this. And I'm hard pressed to believe that if you have someone that you care about that you don't know if they're vaccinated. Um, it was gotten to a point where now where vaccines have now been linked with a cultural identity for some people. So if you get vaccinated, it must mean something about you. And when I'm talking about, you know, folks like this, you know, in my area, it tends to be um, white rural Americans uh, or Virginians who are, are coming in and and folks who will tell you, I just don't feel like I need to do it. Or even more sadly, if I got vaccinated, my family would, you know, ostracize me. You know stuff like that that just lets you know like for some people the vaccine means so much more than just you know a shot of messenger rna sugar salt and protein like it that's what it is and it breaks yeah. down within you know a couple of days but it means so much more to some people you know that you um don't believe in freedom or you're like a Fauci disciple or you're like a, a you know, a sh- you know, part of the sheeple, you know? Yep. Yeah. It, yep. it, it means none of that. Are you not woke? It's just something that you do to protect yourself. Like, you yeah. know, that's, that's all it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I have, oh, you go first. I have, I have a question about the CDC mm-hmm. guidelines. Oh, that's the five days return back without a negative test. Yeah. Yeah, I was a little confused about that, and like, you know, going people that work in the hospital setting, you know, should they be allowed to go back with a negative? I mean, without having a negative test result. Yeah, going back to work with the patients. Good question, and I'm, you know, everyone's going to have an opinion about the CDC and um, and what they do. So, you know, I'll, I'll just first acknowledge that they're in a impossible position. There was no change that they were going to make that everyone would have been happy with. So let's just put that out there. That said, 
uh, my feeling on it was they probably jumped a little bit ahead of um, of their mission when they made it five days without a test. And the reason I say that is um, from, I think the pressure that they were facing were from uh, large businesses in the economy. So Delta Airlines famously you know, put out a letter saying, we suggest a five-day um, you know, isolation period. And at this point, Omicron was really ramping up. I mean, it, it's still, you know, out of control, but cases are starting to go up. A lot of people were starting to call out for work and businesses were wondering if they could even keep their doors open. And so I think the, the desire to shorten it made sense you know, because I, you know, we think 10 to 14 days for most people is probably too long. Um, but I think shorting it to five days without a test was a little bit too much. There were a couple of studies that I looked at that showed that at the five day mark, about 30% of people or so, one out of, um, uh, you know, three out of 10 are still actively shedding and could infect others. And if you stretch that out to seven days, it goes down to about 15% or so. The CDC kind of, you know, rationalized sticking with five by saying, well, you can go back, you can leave the house, but you wear a mask. And if you remember at that point, they didn't have updated recommendations on what kind of mask you should wear. So people were wondering, you know, cloth mask, surgical mask, N95, and they recently said N95s are, you know, offer you the best protection. They kind of advised against it before. But I think if you were going to do something like that, five days without a test, you tell them you have to wear an N95, the highest quality mm-hmm. mask to prevent spread. Um, you know, my, my preference would have, you know, the other, the other part of this, right, is that um, people were having problems getting rapid tests. It's still an issue. So you didn't want to have everyone required to get a test because uh, there may not be enough to go around. And, and that introduces a whole other problem. And so the way I, I think they could have split the difference was to say, you can shorten it to five, but you have to have a negative test to go back um, that soon. And then if you don't do a test, then you wait seven days. The healthcare worker guidance was along those lines that if you were going back at five days, they suggested getting a test. And then if you were did not have a test, you went back at day seven. I think that would have made, um, you know, more sense to stick with rather than kind of what they did. Uh, but I think on balance, it was good to change the guidance to something that most people could stick with. Um, but there's just a, lo- a couple of different changes I would have made. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, so yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, a lot of people off guard. I it, it did. I remember when this came out, people were like, "Wait, what? Five five, <laughs> five days? Like just five? Like, y'all?" Yeah. You cut it by half. <laughs> that was not. If, if you can cut it by half, like why are we going out the ten in the first place? You know, it's like what is what has changed about it? Uh, what they said changed was that the incubation period, so the time where the virus um, you have it but you don't have symptoms yet, it has shortened a little bit. So if that period shortens, um, you know, it goes from like four to five days down to two to three days. That means that the virus rises quicker in your in your you know. Your, your nose and throat, that means it goes down quicker too. So that was kind of the rationale for it. But, you know, there if you're going to make something that drastic, 
you need to do some, you got some explaining to do. Like you got to get out there and let people know why. And I remember the CDC director, I actually worked with her. She was my boss when I was a infectious disease fellow. So I know Dr. Walensky, she's, you know, really solid. She cares about people, very good person. Uh, but I remember she didn't do a press conference. So maybe a couple of days into the guidance to people that already gotten confused and angry and mad. Um, you just need to run ahead of that, you know, <laughs> you know, you, you know, when someone's about to tell you something, either bad news or news that's going to shake up your world, they do a slow clap. Like, all right, here, here's what it is. CDC did not slow clap. You know, you gotta, you gotta get ahead and, and talk to us about, you know, the yes. rationale behind the changes and make sure that people are comfortable with it. And, uh, and you don't do that two days afterwards when, when folks are already, you know, you know really upset. That's true. I agree on that one. Right. Yes. So um, to wrap up the show, um, I, I do something um, at the end of my show. I ask everybody a question. I ask them, what is your uh, your quote or saying that you uh, you go by every day? Mm. Or yeah. are you like? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, so Nipsey Hussle um, is one of my um, one of my favorite rappers. And um he has a quote that if you look at the people around you and you're not inspired, um, you're in a cage. I love that quote. <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm very familiar with that quote from Nipsey Hussle. Nice. He was yeah. such a great guy. Rest yeah. in peace. Yeah. And uh, oh, yeah, rest, rest in peace, Nipsey. Um, I got a portrait of him in, in my office now. I just, I just got it today. I put it up today. And I was so hype about it. Um, oh, but it's just the... Um, the and you know the the concept that iron sharpens iron you know yeah that you need to surround yourself by folks who will push you for excellence and if you don't feel like they're inspiring you every single day then you need a new group of people and so yes. um that's why my my group is small i got us yeah i got a small group of folks who i talk to every day we text or, or we dm each other and we're talking about, you know, what's going on in the news. We're talking about new job opportunities. We're just hyping each other up because so much of of life is beating you down and you comparing your um, yourself, your outside to other, you, you're comparing your inside to other people's outsides, you know, what yeah. other people project. And so you need to have a strong sense of internal validation, you need to know what your, your purpose and your truth and what you're walking in. But you also take, you know, shots a lot. You know, people coming at you, people, you know, trolling you, people saying that you're not worthy or we can't fund this program. We can't do this. You know, all the ways that people tell you that you're not black excellence. Mm -hmm. I've got a hype group who just constantly tells each of us that we are and we need to walk into our destiny. So all these opportunities that I've had this year, I've had it, you know, I've had a lot of blessings and being able to message people throughout the pandemic and get on some high um, profile sort of shows and things like that. I feel like I'm walking in my own destiny, but a lot of that is me having the confidence to go out there and say, you know, if there's no one else out here doing this, that looks like me, why not me? You know? Yes. Yes. And that's why I continue this podcast so I can keep bringing on excellent people like you to share your story to and journey and everything. So I'm just so grateful that you accepted my invite, <laughs> you know, out of all the people. <laughs> and I'm just grateful you bless us with your presence and your knowledge and, and everything. Thank, Thank you so you. much. 
Thanks. Thank you so much. And I will be sending you um, some information uh, from the show as well. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Have a good day. You too.